The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Yes, we're still here in the Swiss Alps. It's just got cold, would it? Minus 13, something like that. We're back where we started. Back where we started. We are live from Davos and London. I'm Steve Sedgwick. And I'm Karen Cho. These are your headlines. The Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuleba tells CNBC he has no reason to doubt the Biden administration's commitment to military aid, saying the tone of discussions with the White House has not changed. Everything we've been hearing ever since from Congress and from the Biden administration is that there are no discussions neither about whether Ukraine deserves to be helped nor about the sum of that support. And that's reassuring. Uh, for all you uh, doves out there, you wouldn't have liked the US weekly jobless claims. They hit a 16-month low. Whilst uh, technology powers a Wall Street rebound, but the Dow and the S&P 500 remain on track for their second down week in three. Houthi rebels launch fresh strikes on a US-owned ship in the Red Sea. Hours after, President Biden acknowledges that American strikes on targets in Yemen have been ineffective. Saudi Arabia's finance minister tells CNBC Riyadh is trying to promote security in the region. We are igniting extensive um, uh, political and diplomatic efforts to try and de-escalate, you know, for the world and the region economy to flourish. You need stability. UN Special Envoy for Climate Finance Mark Carney tells CNBC whoever is sitting in the Oval Office next year will be confronted with a rapidly changing landscape, raising the stakes to accelerate clean transition investment. Whoever wins that election uh, will come into a world that is being rewired. It's being rewired in the energy transition and of course it's beginning to be rewired in intelligence itself. Plus, coming up this hour, US lawmakers passing a stopgap bill to avert a partial government shutdown until March, with the legislation now on its way to Biden's desk. Also ahead, Reddit reportedly draws up plans for a March IPO, seeking to sell around 10% of its stock with a valuation yet to be determined. How you doing? Good. Uh, didn't see you were on the party realm again last night. I know you were at a couple of dinners and things. <laughs> learn a lot of some of these uh, discussions you behind really the do. scenes. You really do. And, uh, and that's why I rely on you to do <laughs> because I just, I'm, I'm done by about eight o'clock every night. I'm done. I'm in the sack. Snapshot. I was talking to the UK Minister for Investment last night. Yes. And he was telling me how well positioned the UK is around AI, which is a relief to hear that is there that are a right? ton of big investments. Right? Yeah. And his message was having the country at the high end of the skill set around AI mm-hmm. protects the jobs to an extent because there is a real fear that the middle part is where you see the loss of jobs. It's not across the board. It will be in certain sections of the workforce. And he's hoping that because there's been this early mover advantage and a ton of companies investing in top uh, biotech, uh, life sciences companies and AI, that there will actually be job growth. And, of course, we are potentially an election period in the UK. Out of all, we are, aren't we? But our our, (laughs) our top universities, from Imperial to Oxford and Cambridge, I I agree, we have amazing talent. We have unbelievable...
evil academics, I would just have probably pushed back at that gentleman and said, where's our billion dollar AI companies in the United Kingdom? Because what we do is we have amazing talent, we have the amazing seeds, we have the amazing innovation, yes. and we don't follow through, do we? Well, this is where we started the conversation. I was talking about the, the fortunes of Mistral, the big French company that's now worth uh, a couple of billion. And it started out worth a few million last year, the escalation we've seen. And I think the point is that those companies are coming through the pipeline. Right. The next point is how we get them to market, which was the conversation, because we haven't seen those companies. It's been a long time since the arm was the, the jewel of the crown on the, on the UK market. So we're talking about how you get that product innovation, how you drag these companies through now. And I think uh, well, you've seen it. How we keep them in the United Kingdom. Yes, but you've seen this out of the Chinese market, the proliferation of new companies. And that's been, of course, one of the big challenges. How do we compete against China for a lot of European companies and countries? One of the things that China has done is create the companies and bring them through various markets with different stock exchange programs. So will we see that sort of innovation in Europe? And that is a big question. Um, many, many questions, but I think we'll have to leave that one there because um, elsewhere we've been speaking to the Ukrainian Foreign Minister, Dmitry Kaleba, uh, who told CNBC he is confident the US will provide military funding that it needs. Now, I asked him what he felt the Ukrainian delegation had achieved during its time in Davos. I think Davos was very reassuring. Uh, the atmosphere here is positive in a way that people are looking for solutions instead of endlessly discussing problems. Um, President Zelensky had excellent meetings with both political leadership and business leaders. Yeah. And uh, messages that we received from both wings is, uh, are, are very encouraging. The most important thing is that you feel you sense and you hear the commitment, the commitment to stand by Ukraine, to keep helping one way or another. And this is exactly the mood that, that we need, because basically our, our deal is very simple, you know, help us and we will do the job. Yeah. And, that's, uh, and Davos in that sense, my, in my view actually, I, I can share you with you my impression from Davos, I think Ukraine, AI and elections in the US are three topics that really dominate discussions at the panels, off the panels, and at private dinners. And it's good, because Ukraine is at the center of Davos, and not surprisingly, not accidentally, because what happens in Ukraine matters for the whole world. Mm -hmm. Mr. Blinken was here. Um, he is trying to get uh, support through Congress with his president as well for Ukraine. Did you get any form of reassurance from the senior US politicians here, and he wasn't the only one here, that actually there can be movement on the military funding package for Ukraine? Well, I have no reasons to doubt the sincerity of the commitment of the Biden administration to continue helping Ukraine, nor do I have reasons to believe that the Republican Party as a whole does not realize how fundamental it is to defeat Russia in Ukraine and not not to allow Russia to continue destroying the world order built by America. I mean, let's be honest, the world we live in was built under American leadership. The United States of America invested hundreds of billions of money, enormous volume of other types of resources in building the world that we live in. And now Putin attacked that world and wants to destroy it. So, whatever the price of supporting Ukraine is, the price of fixing the world, if Putin wins, for the people of America, will be much, much higher. So, 
and again, just to push the point, you didn't get any impression that there is a change in tone from the no. American administration in how they want Ukraine to approach the war and diplomacy? Uh, no, definitely not. We, we have a uh, very trustful relationship at different level. Yeah. President Zelensky and President Biden, uh, they have very close contact. Me and Secretary Blinken, Andrew Yerman, whom you mentioned, yes. and Jake Sullivan, um, uh, Secretary Austin and Minister Omerov. This is just to name, to name a few yeah. of the lines of communication. And when we compare notes, we, we don't hear that, we don't sense that. Um, in fact, I think that uh, this, there is an important change in the tone of the discussion in Congress mm. that occurred somewhere in the end of November, early December, when the issue of Ukraine was fixed and put aside together with the issue of Israel and the issue of Taiwan. And the whole discussion was concentrated on border. So everything we've been hearing ever since from Congress and from the Biden administration is that there are no discussions neither about whether Ukraine deserves to be helped nor about the sum of that support. And that's reassuring. But of course, in the end, it's the decision of the Congress. In the end, it's the domestic issue that rules the game yeah. and we have to wait. You mentioned of the three topics, Ukraine is certainly one of the key topics here in Davos. One of the other ones you mentioned is the US election. Mr. Putin will be very aware of the different tone coming from Donald Trump as well. Do you fear actually, rather than actually wanting to come to the table with anything new, actually Mr. Putin is waiting for Donald Trump and hopefully a change of support for Ukraine? Well, although I don't look old enough, but I do remember the times when President Putin was very much looking forward to the presidency of uh, Donald Trump, hoping that he would make, he would strike a big deal with him. I'm sure you remember the big deal narrative yeah. that uh, uh, Ukraine will be uh, betrayed and will go off the drain because for bigger interests of Russia and the United States in the world. And the big deal didn't really work out. Uh, Trump went after the most important Russian infrastructure project, Nord Stream 2, to, that would allow transportation of gas from Russia to Germany. Trump was the first one to, so, to sell lethal weapons to Ukraine, the famous American javelins. So um, do I believe that Putin, there is a potential for Putin and Trump to agree on something behind Ukraine's back if Trump, president Trump becomes president. I don't. No. Not it's and it's not just me thinking out loud. It's the reality that dictates the understanding of the dynamics. Um, I was thrilled to speak to Mr. Kalebi yesterday, yes. and actually, it's bookended quite nicely my week because I've actually been here a little bit longer than most people because I arrived on Saturday for the Ukraine peace conference. N as not well. overly eager to get Davos started, just to be clear. There was another outside broadcast to cover. Exactly. So yes. there was the NSA meeting, National Security Advisor meeting with Jake Sullivan, um, Andriy Yemak, who is pretty much the number two in the President's office, mm. to Volodymyr Zelensky. And the point is, I think. 
It's very clear to me that the Ukrainian delegation was very worried about slipping down the global order in terms of priorities, mm. concerned about events in the Middle East, of course, but actually wanted Ukraine to be at the forefront and to push forward for the funding from Europe and indeed from the United States and Congress. There's been a little bit of movement on both fronts in the last week. We're not there over the line on either. But I think it's very interesting that Mr. Kaleba there speaking to CNBC seemed broadly reassured about the support in the US and the support in Europe as well. Yes. Uh, and indeed, again, just reiterating the key line that they will not speak to Putin. And I'll add in there yet. I think it's been a great week for the Ukrainian delegation. We keep talking about whether sustainability has slipped down the agenda because geopolitics has been right front and centre. And we talk about the geopolitics. Well, it's Ukraine that is very much dominating here on the mountain. I was talking to a CEO the other night and saying, you know, is the geopolitics having any impact for you? Because it does feel like it's one of those big risks there. But does it really touch the sides? He said to me, yes, it does. There is yeah. uncertainty. Some of the clients are holding back. You're not getting the spending. I think that's really interesting. And that's why we are seeing some of the, the business pressures come very quickly because the uh, business decisions are being postponed yeah. because of the threat. When it comes to Ukraine, I spoke to uh, a key uh, player as well, and this was from a very different angle yesterday, Naftagas, the big energy infrastructure company. And they are rebuilding. And this is a common theme. Every time we talk about rebuilding in Ukraine, it's better than before. New infrastructure is going in. It's green. It's sustainable. It's very different to the old infrastructure that was there before. So I think that is fascinating. But what stands out is that Ukraine is still lobbying for business. It wants to be a player in terms of energy storage for Europe. It's hard to see how Europeans would view Ukraine as the safe area to store excess supplies. I think that would be very difficult in this context. But there have been inroads and uh, Naftogas was telling me this is the first time that they are energy independent on gas at this point in the cycle. So they are making some inroads. Um, I'm going to part that there because we've got a lot to get through and we've got a great guest in the green room as well. Um, but thank you for that. That's very interesting. I didn't actually see your interview, but it sounds amazing. Um, U.S. weekly jobless claims. Now, that this is really interesting given the week we've had on interest rates. U.S. weekly jobless claims fell to their lowest level since September 2022. All right? For all you uh, doves out there, the lowest level since September 2022. I'm going to keep saying it because you keep saying the jobs market is weakening in the state. That is down 16,000 from the previous week to 187,000. As, and the continuing claims were low as well, by the way. This as labour strength persists despite the Fed's efforts to slow the economy. I'll take a look at the US markets week to day, and then I'm going to probably just tell you what the European markets are because it is dramatic. As we've had a more hawkish tone from Walla in the States and from pretty much every policymaker on the governing council, and goodness knows Karen and I have spoken to most of them as well, the US markets, I'll take the S&P, just a quick one, is flat. Look at that, negative 0.06%, despite my headline saying we were on track for negative, it's flat. But the European markets, especially UK, which had that 4% inflation print early in the week, the CPI, which was pretty damning for the gilt market, look at this, down across the board on the European markets. The FTSE down 2.2%. Uh, we've got the CAC, down 0.9%. The DAX down 0.8%. So once again, Karen, the European markets have underperformed. And for all of you out there, and I get your scepticism about Davos, I have my own concerns about Davos, and, and I say it on a daily basis, whether I'm here or not, and that's why we're holding feet to the fire. The fact is, it's been here at Davos this week that has changed the narrative on European rate cut perspective. Yes, it was the commentary from the ECB that carried across to some of the US markets. It took a while to get off the mountain, I think, the message. But what's come through is that the monetary policy re-rating that we had late last year on hopes that we would see rate cuts this year 
has faded. And it's been given that extra fade thanks to the commentary here from the mountain. In terms of what's coming, I think it's interesting. If you look at the retail sales number out of the United States this week, if you dig into the detail, you could see that one of the most discretionary spending categories was still seeing some strength. And namely, this is you know, going to bars and restaurants, cafes, that, that little bit of spending that can quickly be turned because off. Because Americans are keeping their jobs and they feel that their finances exactly. are actually OK. Exactly. So it goes back to these nuances that we're still seeing, yeah. just what sort of strength is going to come through. And again, it was one of those off-the-cuff um, conversations that I had here in Davos. Surprised you can remember them all the moment you've been <laughs> I'm out. surprised too, but this one comes back to me. Jonas Prizing over at Manpower yeah, telling yeah. me about the strength of the labour market still and saying that I think people are underestimating again that we're going to see these job cuts because the unemployment market is still so strong. Mm. And that's coming through a little bit uh, of a, a data point here, a little bit there. I think that is something the market needs to watch out for this year. Should we move on? Why not? Let's tell you what's coming up on the show. Plenty ahead. This is our final show in Davos. So we're going to be joined by the Phillips chairman, Faki Sebezla. That is a first on CNBC interview up next. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Welcome back to our special coverage live here from Davos. The climate transition has been a key agenda item at this year's World Economic Forum. I spoke to Mark Carney, co-chair of the Glasgow Finance Alliance for Net Zero, UN Special Envoy on Climate Action and Finance, and of course, former Bank of England governor, and began by asking for his views on the outlook for green investment. If you look at the growth in investment in clean energy, it grew by 50% last year. And not from a small base. Uh, in 2022, it was $1.2 trillion. So that means it got to $1.8 trillion. That's almost twice as much investment as in conventional en energy. So there's a huge surge in, in investment in clean energy, in EVs, in the whole supply chain. And that gets to the link to geopolitics. Uh, because there's a crossover to geopolitics here. The supply chains extend across the world. They extend up into critical minerals. Some of the biggest suppliers of critical minerals, of course, China is. A, and so that relationship is hugely important. And as well, one of the themes in geopolitics, if I can put it that way, uh, is industrial policy. Industrial policy both to de-risk straight geo strategy there, but also to try to gain a foothold in competitiveness in the industries of the future, which are green, and of course, the other big topic of uh, this week, AI. I think you've been saying IRA in a subtle message in that response there. So I want to ask you about the US presidential sure. election, whether this could get in the way, whether there's a, a Trump candidate for the Republicans, a, a future Trump presidency yet again. Could Trump endanger that $1.8 trillion that you've mentioned of investment? Could he reverse some of those flows that have been going into clean energy? Uh, well, certainly uh, the U.S. election matters. Uh, uh, all aspects of that election, the congressional elections, uh, Senate, and, uh, of course, for the presidency. Um, uh, whoever wins that election uh, will come into a world that is being rewired. Uh, in some respects, uh, uh, Donald Trump began that rewiring in terms of shifting of trading patterns, but it's being rewired in terms of how our value chains are, are set up, 
uh, who, who, who's the friend for the friendshoring, if you will. It's being rewired in the energy transition, and of course it's beginning to be rewired in intelligence itself. So uh, the occupant of the Oval Office uh, or the Chancellery in Germany or uh, any, uh, uh, any world leader has to deal with those realities and craft policies to get the greatest advantage for their citizens first, uh, but also for the world. Joining us now, Faki Sabezba, the chair of Philips, former CEO of DSM. There was a, a big debate across the mountain this week as to whether sustainability is slipping down the agenda. And it was your CEO who weighed in and said, look, sustainability is not as dominant this year as it's been in other years. One of the executives last night said to me, look, I think it's just because we're seeing the conversations take place at a level that's lower down where it's having more impact. It may not be dominating the headlines in Davos, but it's certainly in all the back channels and all the conversation points about how we make a difference because everybody knows they have to do something. What would you say about sustainability this year? No, true. I mean, uh, sustainability remains on the agenda. Climate remains on the agenda, by the way, for everybody having input streams in their business coming from agricultural sources uh, have vulnerability. So uh, it is also from that perspective that companies uh, continue to look. They want to take the responsibility. So it's on the agenda. But maybe this year it is also superseded by uh, other issues. We have the different wars. But also what I see, I mean, Friedman um, had this famous book, The World is Flat. And I think when we look to this week in Davos, maybe we need to say the world isn't flat anymore. Uh, because we see regionalization, we see nationalization even, and that had big impact for companies as well. So that is what we see now. And companies are busy, and that is also on the agenda, with if we see a little bit away from globalization towards regionalization, nationalization, what does that mean for your supply chain? What does that mean for your customers? What does that mean for your financing? So companies uh, have also other issues high on the agenda in this world. One point of contention was whether there's enough green financing at this stage. And the view by some of those who are right at the forefront of financing saying there's plenty of it around. There's no problem with it. So if the money's there, what is the problem? Is it climate financing policy that's the issue? Yeah, no, it is, uh, the, the money is there, that, that is true. Uh, although I need to say also that on the, in terms of the money streams on climate, it's partly confusing also, and that is what we discussed this week also with many companies. On one hand, we still want to help the citizens and help the fossil industry and help, so we have fossil subsidies. But on the other hand, many jurisdictions the price on carbon. But on the other hand, we also have stimulants uh, of green investments, etc. So companies say, I found the policies of some governments pretty confusing. It is one direction, the other direction, etc. And that is for companies who like stability and like clarity for their investment, uh, sometimes complicated. I will leave this, the... Um the uh, green debate just for the moment because I'll, I'll pick up, you know, this might be my last argument of the week, so I'm, I'm going to pick it up with you Fika, because okay. you know how much I love chatting okay. with you um, I, I, I went around Eindhoven a few years ago and I saw what globalisation did to the old Philips and I saw that despite the fact that it was one of the most innovative companies on the planet post-war with unbelievable consumer technology, what have you, that actually they couldn't compete because of globalization and a whole host of products as well. What is wrong in the 21st century of looking after your industry, looking after your young industry, looking after your new industries, when actually the competition and the playing field from certain parts of the world is anything but flat. In fact, it's completely skewed. There you go. 
Yeah, it, it comes from many companies, comes from Philips also. Um, we are not uh, only the low-cost manufacturer and we don't want to be in that market. So therefore, Philips went more and more into medtech, uh, into high-level products. That means full force on innovation. But it wanted to be both, Ica. Philips, Philips could have been all of those things, but it couldn't compete at the lower end. That's why it had to get out. Yes, although we manufacture also in China. And we source also from China where the low cost is. So it's dual. We have our low cost position also. But at the end of the day, companies like Philips would like to make the money with high level, innovative products with higher margins. And there we, uh, we focus but, but on. But guess what? That's what the Chinese are doing to re-establish their economy. They can't rely on the consumer because it's still licking its wounds after the property crisis. It's Correct. still rebuilding up its savings in China. So what have they decided to do? They're going to just export aggressively. But this time, it's not going to be T-shirts and, and cheap goods. It's going to be high-end products that Philips makes and others make. So what does that mean? It means we have to look after our industries in Europe and in the United States. We need IRA. We need a response in Europe, don't we? 100%. And what does it mean? Who will win the game and who will be the successful companies? The companies who are the most uh, innovative, yeah. are the most effective, not only doing the innovations, and Philips has also some experience there, but bringing it to the market as well yeah. and making money with that. And that is the name of the game for all those companies uh, uh, to, to do that. And this means also that you need to uh, jump in fast in new technologies. AI has big impact on, on Philips and other companies, and, um, and it provides many opportunities. Now, at the same time, AI provides also some uh, challenges and some difficulties. Some jobs maybe will be lost due to AI. A lot of other jobs will be created. But for companies, is it? Do you understand fast enough what AI is and what it can bring for your products, your innovations in your markets and your companies? Well, let's talk about the positives then around AI. What jobs will be created? Because I think most people think that there's going to be large-scale displacement. And the IMF report at the start of the week suggested disruption, particularly for developed markets. Yeah, no, there are all kinds of new solutions being provided. Uh, AI, if, if, I, if I look to all kinds of examples, it can change your innovations. I mean, Philips making a lot of monitors. Uh, pixel density uh, was one of the most important things in all the research because then the doctors, etc., could look the best on the monitors. Now we ask ourselves, should pixel density still be the main issue or can we fill in the pixel density with AI? That is a shift in how you do your, your research. And it is important because it provides new insights. Oh, for final the question. You got them on? No. <laughs> you don't Sorry. wear them anymore, do uh, you? The viewers will not understand. <laughs> they will not know. We're clearly talking about I But indeed, for many, no, for many years, uh, <laughs> and he was checking with, I have cufflinks with carbon dioxide in it. Oh, uh, amazing. They're in, amazing. In China, <laughs> uh, we collect the carbon dioxide, we compress it, not compressed, that we created diamonds. Do you remember when you first wore those? Do you first wore those and we exactly, talked about it? Do you remember? Exactly. 2015, the Paris. The Bourget. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and yeah. that was the start, the Paris Supreme. And that was the start of it, yeah. And um, yeah, today we need to conclude. We are not yet on track. Do you track. know we're almost nine years older? We don't look a day older, do we? Yeah. <laughs> but I think we will, coming back to your first point, we will at the end of the day address the climate issues yeah. and it is of the interest of the companies itself it's interest of planet the people but the companies also some companies become vulnerable if they don't address climate change and need to adapt themselves yeah. i'm sure they will thank you for listening to squawk box europe express 
For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.